Hi, I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. We have a very special episode today as our friend and soulmusic.com founder, David Nathan, is joined by a returning guest, A&R specialist Deron Bower, to talk about an era in soul and R&B that they both have great affection for, girl groups of the 80s and 90s. So we're talking on Vogue, Destiny's Child, Escape, TLC and so much more. So let's join David and Duran direct from Los Angeles. Duran, I don't know. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the girl groups of the eighties and nineties, right? And um, yes, sir. Um, so I'm curious when I, we just when I say that, and we, we say this is a topic we're going to talk about. Who comes to mind? Girl groups of the 80s and 90s, the first name and the main name that comes to my mind is Invoke. Okay. And and was it so so let's talk a little bit about Invoke and let's talk, but before we even get to that, who are some of the other ones? So that's the first name that comes to mind. When when I think about that, it's interesting. Um, I don't think of Invogue. I think of um it's, it's funny how, how how we have a different a different perspective. I, I, in that respect. I th- when I think of girl groups of the 80s and 90s, I, particularly the 90s, I immediately go to um, um, two, actually. I go, I go to SWV and, uh, and TLC, or acronyms. Yes. So let's start with, let's talk about Envogue. So, so why did you, why is that the one, the one group that immediately, like, occurs for you? It's like, yeah, that's the girl group of that time period. And Vogue comes to mind because um, the 80s didn't have a lot of girl groups, um, if any. The 70s did with the emotions and Pointed Sisters and all those type of things. And then um, Pointed Sisters had success in the 80s, but they were the only ones from the 70s. When Invoke came, I remember sitting on my grandmother's floor in the den watching Video Soul, BET Video Soul Countdown, and Hold On debuted at number nine, and they started with that Who's Loving You um, acapella, and then it went into Hold On, which was like a, um, the breakbeat was similar from Booming System from LL Cool J, and you saw these beautiful women with these crazy harmonies, and I was, I was floored just from the video. And then when I heard the album, each of them took turns singing lead. Um, there was not one vocal out of place. The beats were very New Jack Swing at the same time retro, at the same time traditional R&B. And I had never heard anything like that in my lifetime that was just so on. They were all very beautiful women, but they were very respectful. You, you need to respect me. Um, they were very vulnerable, and their their vo- their vocals were pitch perfect. There was nothing auto tune or studio about it, and that just left an impression on me from that very first album to today. And mm. I think everything that came after it was kind of either pattern off of it or was influenced by it. So, in Vogue was the the epitome of that era of girl groups, and they stand in my top top two as girl groups of all time. It's definitely in vote. Well, it's interesting. A few, a few things I, li- I like to, to you know, comment on, uh, uh, you know, 
riffing off of what you just said, so to speak. Um, the first thing, when you were talking about the first time you saw them uh, on, on television, mm-hmm. yeah, um, were, your reaction reminds me of the reaction that I remember in the 60s that people had mm. the first time they saw the Supremes. Yeah. It was kind of like a breakthrough moment for a lot of people. Um, and and it, although there are this differences, of course, the Supremes had a defined lead singer and they weren't, um, it wasn't the same way in vogue. Each of them could have been a lead singer, so to speak. Um, but the thing that that, that, that that same impact was a visual thing as well as, of course, those records of, of, of the Supremes and the other groups, female groups of that time period, Martin and Vandellas, and were very much, you know, in a particular style. Um, what I'm interested in, though, is when you mentioned about Invoke, because I remember specifically uh, working with them uh, in terms of doing interview. I think I, I in fact, wrote the first bio. Uh, for, I should tell people when I say bio what I mean, because sometimes people say, what do you do about the bio? <laughs> it's really essentially the biography that goes with a record. When a record comes out, you know, we would update people's bios. If it was a new artist, then the record company would hire um, someone like myself, journalist, writer, to interview the group and to write about the history and to talk about the new record. So that's what I mean by bio. And I I did their first one. Uh, Of course, the thing that's really interesting about Invoke 2 is that um, because they were handpicked, so to speak, by the producers, uh, Denzel Foster and, and, and I always get them. I always say their names wrong. Foster and McElroy. There you go. Denzel. Correct. Remind me which ones were it. Denzel <laughs> Foster. They, I had it right. Thomas yeah. McElroy. They, 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 they would they would truly not be happy that I couldn't remember who which one was which. But anyway, but the fact is that they were an album. That first album was very, I think, very methodically created, and it was intentional to create something that would continue that tradition that of, of, of starts with the Supremes and the Martha and Vandellas and the groups of the 60s and moves on through the 70s. And you, you made a great reference there to the emotions in particular, but there's other groups of the 70s, of course, the Pointer Sisters, and, and we can't forget LaBelle, which, of course, came out of, Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells. So there is this whole tradition. And I think, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. I think in Vogue represented the first of that, of another era of of female harmony groups. Um, And distinct, distinct because, of course, again, they all sang lead on different tracks on, on, on that album. So who do you think follows in Vogue? After in Vogue, who do we, who's next? Um, you. you mentioned them. I say TLC um, is right behind there, um, mainly because when Ain't Too, Bra- Ain't Too Proud to Bay came out, <clears throat> people had that, and I only imagine because I was born in this decade, but people had that look on their face, I think the same way they did Funkadelic and Parliament and, and all these different things, because you had these three girls with these baggy clothes. One of them had a condom on the eye patch. But the music was so funky. And they they played different roles. You had the soft voice, the D voice, and the rapper. And they were very unapologetic and very strong in their womanhood. And they really represented what that 
era meant at that time. It was very New Jack Swing. It was very in women being independent and, and doing their thing as the beginning of that. And TLC, that album, that Ooh and the TLC tip, it covered so many different things. And again, that was the first time I've ever... Now, at that point, that was the first time I've ever seen women like that. I think the closest I got to that was like the Brides of Frank uh, of Funkenstein back in the, in the 70s. But TLC was very first of their kind, and which is why they ended up being so successful. What made them different from In Vogue was they weren't dolled up. They didn't look like models. They didn't have a statue to their thing. They were very non-formula non to them. They were very, do what you want to do. I love hip-hop, but I also love R&B with the Baby, Baby, Baby record. Um, they were the first of their kind, and I would say In Vogue and TLC, if I was to say who created the the blueprint of everything came, coming after it, it would definitely be those two. Those would be two different categories of everything that came after it. So I would say TLC would be right behind them. You know, it's interesting. When I think about TLC, the, 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 <laughs> this is a little bit lame, I guess, from, from the standpoint of a hardcore TLC fan, but the, 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 the record that really had me get TLC, so it's with get in terms of like, yeah, uh, I yeah. Know, shameful was waterfalls. Yeah, I yes. heard that, and I was, and that because I was already like listening to En Vogue and like them, and, and you know, and some of the groups that, that came in the wake of En Vogue too. I think about Jade and SWV in the same time period, and that was more what I was kind of my ears were more kind of tuned into because you know, again, that's like a tradition of the kind of the harmony groups and the. You know, a certain kind of some, yeah, TLC represented something else that wasn't quite, for me personally, I'm quite in sync with that until Waterfalls. Then I was like, and I remember, I remember watching them in particular, if I'm correct, I think they performed it on the Grammys. And I was like, wow. And I think it was something, or the video, something was either a video or a Grammy performance. That it, I, I love, I really love that record. So I, I guess I was a little, I could say, late to the party, so to speak, with TLC. <laughs> yeah, with TLC, I remember going back and they were on tour with MC Hammer. They on a Too Legit to Quit tour. And people were like, well, this is an R&B group. Why are they on tour with Hammer? Well, I'm like, well, going back, in Vogue's first tour was with Hammer. And then with the second album, TLC ended up being um, on tour with Hammer. And TLC, they really bridged the gap between hip-hop and R&B specifically for women. And they did it so good where men were comfortable listening to them too. And they always had a message in their music. They always had an empowerment, but they always had a vulnerability as well, which was very similar to In Vogue. But they were, they were more stripped down. And I think they really got the youth more into it. And that was also the kickoff of LaFace. They were the ones who really helped LaFace records kick off. That first album was a 4 million seller. And that's huge for a label that was what a year old, two years old at that time. So yeah, with, with TLC and in Vogue, you're right. That's where SWV came from. Um, you had Going overseas, you had Eternal. Remember Eternal? Eternal came from that vein. And then you get into um, SWV and Destiny's Child. 
You you go a little later into yeah. that, and you get you get the combination of that. And I think the root of all those groups in the '90s, they had to they had to sacrifice and come into hip hop because hip hop was starting to run everything. So I think with Denny and Tommy and with LA and Phase and um, even at the, the executives of RCA when it came with SWV was what can we do with R&B and put hip hop into it with these kids and still be dedicated to R&B and that's, that was the answer. All three of those groups were the answer to that and Destiny Child coming later was also the answer to that too. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see the, I can see the, the kind of development of that. I can definitely see the development of that. I, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, we, we've touched upon Destiny's Child. Um, are there any that we're missing? I mean, we've, we've touched upon, we've touched on, of course, the main ones in Vogue and TLC, and then we mentioned SWV, and, and, and then I, I referenced also Jade. I, I think there's a few others that we're missing, but I'm trying to think who they were. Are there oh, some? Yeah. Who 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 are the the ones that didn't quite? They're kind of like slightly under the radar, so to speak. Does anyone you come to mind for you? Yes, two. There's a lot, but two in particular is Escape, Brownstone. Brownstone was another. Um, those two were really. They were two again. That was a combination of both the In Vogue style and the TLC style. I think Escape was more the In Vogue style because I remember seeing a doc on them saying that their audition was doing Is My Living In Vain from Clark Sisters. And when they came out, they had on overalls, Timberlands, and um, tie-dye shirts with their names on it. Brownstone was a Michael Jackson label artist. And when they came out, it was very melodic. The first single was um, Past Eleven, which was a New Jack thing, but then they broke out with um, If You Love Me, which is a classic to this day. And they're, they're another one. That was a um, three-girl group. Escape was a four-girl group. And they had, um, I think Escape had more of the successes. They had about three or four albums going through. With Brownstone, it was two. But they were really successful. They both had top 10, top five pop singles with that style. So I think um, they're another two. Then you had some awesome groups in there. You had Good To Go which was uh, um, stem off from the whole Bell Bib DeVoe thing. The Bell Bib DeVoe production crew did them, and they were a uh, um, giant act. Um, so you had Good To Go, you had Brownstone, you had Escape, um, you had Black Girl, you had um, Nothing Nice. You had a lot of girl groups that were out at that time, but the ones that kind of rose above everything was the In Vogue, the TLC, and the SWV. I think those were probably the biggest ones of that era. We're going to take a quick break, but please stay tuned because we will be right back. Out now, saxophonist Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing. Executive produced by George Benson and produced by Preston Glass, Perfect Timing is a current UK soul music radio chart hit, the follow-up to Back to the Sunshine, Jermaine's first UK soul music top 20 single. Check out Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing, out now on Soul Music Records, available on all digital platforms.
Welcome back. This episode, we're talking about girl groups of the 80s and 90s, joined by David Nathan and A&R specialist, Deron Bowers. Well, a couple you didn't mention, though, I just want to throw in there. Uh, oh, so there was Pretty in Pink, which was on Motown and included Shaka Khan's daughter, Malini. And yeah. then there was one of my favourite groups of, that, that, that never really got off the ground, unfortunately, even though I thought they were their harmonies were brilliant, as a group called For Real that was actually... Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dallas was, Austin's group. Correct. And I wanted to just share with you, uh, since we talked about so many of the group, those groups, I do want to share with you briefly uh, uh, at my, my one-time media coaching session with Xscape, which, <laughs> which was truly, uh, when we say trial by fire, you know, uh, so as a media coach at that point, I had worked with quite a few different artists. And in particular, I was being hired to work with, um, you know, artists that kind of crossed in between the R&B, hip-hop world. I mean, the first love people that I, the, the, the first artists I, I did a lot of media coaching with were more the standard ones, you know, going back to Brian McKnight and Karen White and then morphed into me doing more um, with Tony Braxton and so on. And Escape was a particular challenge for me because they they were they 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 were a little uh, uh, rowdy <laughs> 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 and, and, and trying to do a, a media coaching session with four women who were very opinionated and were not afraid to um, uh, talk over each other. And, and trying to get them to understand if you're doing an interview, because media coaching, of course, is where you train someone how to do an interview or you give them coaching. I shouldn't say train, but coach. And it was very, very difficult because they would talk over each other and then they would disagree with each other in the coaching session. And I was trying to explain to them, if you do that, what's going to happen? If you, if you do that during a, a session with a journalist, that's all they're going to walk away with. This group doesn't get along. And as it turned out, I've paused. <laughs> That's a pause in which you, I have nothing else to say there. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question with yeah. SWV, because I was really sitting here thinking about it, and I was thinking about your Supremes um, analogy. What was it about SWV that really stuck out for you? Actually, it's interesting. It's actually within the name. Sisters with Voices? Yes. It actually, was that was it. It was actually, that's what stuck out for me. They really, they, they were singers. They, they, you know, there's, it's one thing to put a, a group together um, that is just, you know, that, that has the glamour and the, the look and so on. Um, but I, I, that was what stayed with me. The fact that they, they were real, that there was a, there was something in their voices. The voices actually, it, it, I think I can't, I don't remember how they, who named them SWV. Do you, do you know who that was? That I don't know. That's that's I a very know. good question. Well, whoever it was is very smart because that's what stood <laughs> out. For me. Yeah, uh, I do want. Of course, we ha- you know we couldn't have a conversation about girl groups of eighties, not and particularly nineties, without talking about the most obvious and, uh, group, which is Destiny's Child. So, so I'd like to hear from you. You know, Doran, when you first heard Destiny's Child, what was your reaction? Okay, honest reaction. Honest. When I heard Destiny's Child, 
it, I was working at a record store. I was in college working at a record store, and we had got a promo box from Sony, and they were promoting Destiny's Child and Jagged Edge, and it was a budget price line thing where their albums were like six ninety nine if we give it a certain shelf thing or whatever, and I listened to it, and I was like, well, this is a kind of run the mill thing until I heard no, 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 and when I heard no, 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 I'm like, oh, this is. This is good. I I was looking forward to, after listening to the album, of what they would be. I didn't think they were everything they could be in that album, in that first album I heard. There was a couple of songs, and of course, Beyonce's voice and them as a harmony, it, it stood out. But I didn't think it stood out enough until that next album. And that next album, I mean, as history shows, they, they just it was a skyrocket. But when I first heard them, it was on a promo CD of the album and I thought they were good but I didn't think that everything that they could do was in that music so then when the second album The Writings on the Wall came out and that's when um, Bills, Bills, Bills and Say My Name and Jumpin', Jumpin' and Bugaboo that that was it for me like it just it, it, it showed me that the promise that I saw in them in the first album they brought it into the they brought it into fruition with their second album and everything going forward so that was my First impression of Destiny's Show. I've got two questions for you specific to mm-hmm. Destiny's Show. So um, would you have considered yourself after the second album to have been a fan? Yes. After the second album, I was a fan. I was looking forward to everything. And I got to see them during that second album, I want to say, with Nelly. I think they were they were the headliners and Nelly was the opener. And it was around the time his first album had really started exploding i got to see them live and yeah i was i was a fan after that second album after after bills 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 i ended up being a fan so yeah at the second album yes i was so now i'm gonna ask you the the question okay <laughs> so uh, to be able to ask you the question i'm gonna reference back to the supremes right mm-hmm. so in history when the supremes had this amazing run of hits you know non-stop baby love where did our love go i mean on and on and just i mean they literally ruled the charts in america and in britain they were the first major uh, african-american female group to really like blow the lid off internationally i mean they were like massive there was no other female group of that time i mean they rivaled the beatles in terms of the number of chart hits they had so as we progress in the Supreme career, at some point it becomes Diana Ross and the Supremes, as we know. And then at some point becomes the moment when Diana Ross becomes a solo artist, which was kind of inevitable, you know. So in the same way, I'm going to, and the impact that that had was for a lot of their, particularly their African-American audience, it was devastating. I remember talking to people uh, many, many years later about why there was so much like uh, stuff about Diana Ross, you know, why were people so like anti-Diana Ross? And it was because the, the people who grew up in that era said it was because Diana Ross left the Supremes and the Supremes were like an institution for many people, you know? So I'm going to draw the parallel, although the circumstances would have been different. When Beyonce left Destiny's Child, how did that impact you? As a fan, it didn't. 
to be honest with you, because (laughs) to be honest with you, because of how it was set up when the second album really broke with Say My Name, the lineup changed where they silently two people were gone and two people just appeared in the video for Say My Name. And from that point on, everything kind of worked like that, where as they were going into the Charlie's Angels single, one left, and then it ended up being three. And then they finally went into the next album, Survivor, it was just the three. And it was it was almost like a it was setting up to be that. And Kelly had her record with Nelly, the real big hit record, but they stayed. And then when Beyonce came, it was more, it was expected. It was expected that Beyonce would drop a solo album because of how everything was set up. And it was so different than what we were used to for the girl groups we had spoke about from In Vogue, SWV, TLC. None of them were set up or positioned where one of the girls was just so much star power that we expected a solo album to come. With Destiny's Child, you kind of expected it. As much as a fan I, I was of Destiny's Child, I expected it, and then all the language was, yes, we're doing this, and then we're going to come back together and still do a group album, which happened once. But yeah. it was it was an expectation, so it really didn't surprise or hit a lot of people, which is why if they got together now and did a tour, it would sell out like crazy as if it was a Beyonce because they were very good on still keeping everybody in the loop and keeping the girls in the solo videos and everything. But it didn't surprise me at all. It didn't it didn't sh- shatter anyone's dreams. It didn't do any of those things because it was they set it up that way. Okay, well, in wrapping up, because I think we're coming towards the end of our time, Yes. Uh, on this very interesting subject, I'm glad. And thank you for sharing that because I get a, a whole different perspective on you know how how it was back in the day when groups broke up and you know and, and, and I, I guess it wasn't so much breaking up more an evolution. Uh, but I want to ask you, um, you know, why do you think there's not that many um, female groups around now? Okay, so the last female group that we had that made even the smallest dent was Danny Decane. Um, and that was a group that was put together on an MTV reality show called Making a Band that Puffy had. He put these girls together, a la In Vogue, but on TV. And they were the last ones to have two consecutive number one albums. They had a successful tour. And that was a, a gift and a curse. We saw that happening again with us having a girl group. But we also saw that fall apart on TV. We saw it social media and the way that media was after that changed things. So we started seeing more than we should have saw with what makes a girl group click. And we saw that it's, it's hard for them to get along. The things that you said would escape with the media training and everything, we started to see that play out in real life. And so to get a girl group together like that again, it'll be hard to keep a lot of those things at bay just so you can hear the music and fall in love with the personalities and i think as far as record labels go i think a lot of priorities have changed i know in the um in asia the um k-pop groups with the girl groups and everything has happened but what they've been successful at doing was you know the you you get introduced to the groups with the music and the videos now everything is so personal that you don't get a chance to fall in love with the group. You already pick your favorites before their first single comes out. So I think with technology today, it kind of makes it hard. Yeah. 
I gotcha. Well, hopefully it's not a lost era, a lost uh, genre, so to speak. Uh, but this has been really good, you know, reflecting on, 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 on you know, the, the pathway, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then, you know, on to, 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 to now. Great. Well, thanks, Duran. It was really great uh, talking on that. I look forward to our next, our next, uh, our next session. Yes, sir. I'm always, always excited to talk to you about any of this stuff because your perspective and everything you've done has always been interesting. So I can't wait for the next one. Thanks. Take care now. You too, sir. Thanks, David and Duran, for talking through all things girl groups of the '80s and '90s. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists on soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.